Is that a bit better? I'm hoping that the sound quality will be better in this one. Got a proper microphone here. All right. Is it a little wonky? It's a little wonky. Sorry about the wonkiness today. Um, let me see if I can fix that. It's a little less wonky. I'm not going to be a Virgo perfectionist. One thing about being a Virgo is uh, because I'm born under that astrological influence of Sun in Virgo, I absolutely think astrology is total bullshit. It's so stupid that people think that the stars affect. Okay, um, continuing where we left off, perhaps there's something about the archetypes and the collective unconscious of astrology that affects, never mind. We'll get there one day, we'll get there. Um, if you don't know what's going on, maybe you wanna click here and start at the beginning of the uh, Black Books playlist. This is part two of Carl Jung's The Black Books. Getting right into it. <clears throat> this next section is called The Intoxication of Mythology. Vocatus, I didn't think this was going to be in Latin. Okay, well, moving right along. Vocatus atque, vocatus deus aderit. Called or not, oh, thank God. Called or not, God will be present. Okay. That's what the Latin was. All right, all right. Now it's all starting to come together and make sense. Continue. In 1908, Jung had this proverb carved on his skull. No, carved on the portal of the house he had built in Kunacht. I don't speak German, which is why I pronounce my own last name, Reeb even though it's clearly ribe. Anyway, on the upper shore of Lake Zurich, oh, that's in Switzerland, isn't it? The statement was from the Delphic Oracle. Okay. Didn't know they were monotheists back then. Just kidding. All right. Oh, stop. I'll stop with the commentaries and just read what it says. I promise I'll, I'll, do, I'll do better. Reproduced, okay, so the Delphic Oracle reproduced in the Dutch Renaissance. They had one too? Sorry. The Dutch Renaissance humanist Erasmus. Oh, have you seen that uh, or read that, that dumb Dune prequel with Erasmus? <laughs> Brian, leave it alone. Uh, he should have left it alone. No, actually, you know, I did enjoy reading those just because there was no more genuine Frank Herbert uh, Dune material. So I read the Brian stuff, the Brian and Kevin stuff. It's like kind of like fan fiction. All right, sorry. Because, uh, the yes, okay, so let me start at the beginning of that sentence. The statement was from the Delphic Oracle, reproduced in the Dutch Renaissance humanist Erasmus's Collectane Adagiorum. Proverbs from classical authors. Jung closely worked on the plans for the house. The following year, he resigned his post as senior physician at Bergolz. 
leave, is that an L or a, I need my magnifying glass for some of this stuff. They, they, never mind. Uh, hospital to devote himself to his growing practice and his research interests. He kept his position as a lecturer in the medical school where he continued to give courses on the psychology of the unconscious and psychoanalysis. His retreat from the coincided with a shift in his research interests to the study of mythology, folklore, and religion, and he assembled a vast private library of scholarly works. These researches culminated in the Transformations and Symbols of the Libido, published in two installments in 1911 and 1912. It marked a return to Jung's intellectual roots and to his cultural and religious preoccupations. He found the mythological work exciting and intoxicating. It, quote, it seemed to me I was living in an insane asylum of my own making, end quote. I can relate with that. He recalled in 1925, quote, I went about with all these fantastic figures, centaurs, nymphs, satyrs, gods, and goddesses, as though they were patients and I was analyzing them. I read a Greek or a Negro myth. Sorry, sorry everybody. It's a quote from a man speaking in 1908. Hopefully it won't get much worse than that. Um, as if a lunatic were telling me his Anamnesis, his A-N-A-M-N-E-S-I-S, amnesis, okay, like amnesia, his amnesis, all right, new word, good, add that to the old noodle, end quote. The end of the 19th century saw an explosion of scholarship in the newly founded disciplines of comparative religion and ethno-psychology. Primary texts were collected and translated for the first time and subjected to historical scholarship in collections such as Max Mueller's Sacred Books of the East. For many, these works represented an important relativization of the Christian worldview. In Transformations and Symbols of the Libido, Jung differentiated two kinds of thinking. Taking his cue from William James, among others, he contrasted direct thinking and fantasy thinking. The former was verbal and logical, the latter was passive, associative, and imaginistic. The former was exemplified by science, and the latter by mythology. Jung claimed that the ancients lacked a capacity for direct thinking, which was a modern acquisition. Fantasy thinking took place when directed thinking ceased. Transformations and symbols of the libido was an extended study of fantasy thinking and of the continued presence of mythological themes in the dreams. Ooh, he's a poet and didn't know it. And fantasies 
of contemporary individuals. Jung reiterated the anthropological equation between the prehistoric, the primitive, and the child. He held that the elucidation of current-day fantasy thinking in adults would concurrently shed light on the thought on the thought of children, savages, and prehistoric peoples. In this work, Jung synthesized 19th-century theories of memory, heredity, and the unconscious, and posited a phylogenic, phylogenic layer to the unconscious still present in everyone and consisting of mythological images. <clears throat> For Jung, myths were symbols <clears throat> of the libido and they depicted its typical movements. He used the comparative method of anthropology to draw together a vast panoply of myths and then subjected them to analytic interpretation. He later termed his use of the comparative method, quote, amplification, end quote. He claimed that there had to be typical myths, which corresponded to the ethno-psychological development of complexes. Following Jacob Burkhardt, that's uh, B-U-R-C-H-H-A-R-D-T, Burkhardt, I think is the correct pronunciation of that. Uh, he termed such a typical, such typical myths, quote, primordial images, end quote. I've used so many of these phrases so many times, it's like interesting to see their, their birth. Uh, quote, Erbilder, I mean, parentheses, Erbilder, end parentheses. That probably means something. Um, one particular myth was given a central role, that of the hero. Let me see, does he have a thousand faces? Um, for Jung, this represented, though I know that wasn't Jung, but it was based on, never mind. For Jung, this represented the life of the individual, attempting to become independent and to free himself from the mother. He interpreted the incest motif as an attempt to return to the mother to be reborn. Oh, how wholesome. I desire to re-enter the womb and to be born again, says the portal at the uh, threshold, right? He was later to herald this work as marking the discovery of the collective unconscious, though the term itself was of a later date, end quote, within quotes, end quote, I think that is. In his preface to the 1952 revision of Transformations and Symbols of the Libido, Jung noted that the work was written in 1911, his 36th year. Quote, the time is a critical one, for it marks the beginning of the second half of life when a metanoia, a mental transformation not, infrequent, not infrequently occurs, end quote. He was conscious of the loss of his collaboration with Freud and was indebted to his wife for her support. After completing the work, he realized the significance of what it meant to live without a myth. One without a myth 
quote, is like one uprooted, having no true link either with the past or with the ancestral life which continues within him, or yet with contemporary human society, end quote. What do you think? Does that sound like a good thing or a bad thing? I mean, I suppose it depends on a lot of things. To me, it sounds like a good thing. What was it uh, Terrence McKenna said? Culture is not your friend. I was driven to ask myself in all seriousness, quote, what is the myth you are living? End quote. That's a good question. Who do you want to be today? Do you want to be just like someone, Auntie? The, I found, that was Danny Elfman, Boingo Boingo. I found no answer to this question and had to admit that I was not living with a myth or even in a myth, but rather in a certain cloud of theoretical possibilities, which I was beginning to regard with increasing distrust. So in the most natural way, I took it upon myself to get to know, quote, my, end quote, myth. And I regarded this as the task of tasks. For, so I told myself, how could I, when treating my patients, make due allowance for the personal factor, for my personal equation, which is yet so necessary for a knowledge of the other person if I was unconscious of it, end quote. Good questions. The study of myth had revealed to Jung his mythlessness. He then undertook to get to know his myth, his parentheses, personal equation, and parentheses. Thus, we see that the self-experimentation that he undertook through exploring his own fantasy thinking was in part a direct response to theoretical questions raised by research that culminated in transformations and symbols of the libido. <clears throat> I was talking with my wife, Pew, that's short for Priel, uh, yesterday um, about how Edward Bernays, you know, the nephew of, um, of Freud, had, had managed to turn Freudian Psycho psychoanalysis theory into propaganda. Um, I mean, he wrote it as if it were like a warning against it, but it was like the textbook for propaganda that uh, he wrote. Um, one day, perhaps, we'll read that here on this program. And uh, similarly, I mean, I think it, it wasn't it wasn't with malice in their hearts, but there's his name, Joseph Campbell. So Joseph Campbell took Jungian uh, archetypes and all these things and moved, took the next step and uh, wrote Hero of a Thousand Faces. And then, you know, people like Robert McKee uh, took that, or uh, I guess George Lucas was like, somehow got the credit, I, like as if he were the first one to do it, to read um, Hero of a Thousand Faces and then make Star Wars and uh, Robert McKee writing story. And, you know, now every screenwriter, every aspiring screenwriter who wants to work in television or in movies has to basically treat Robert McKee's story as a kind of Bible and uh, do everything they can to work within the rules. And then Dan Harmon 
boiled it down to the story circle. So the hero has a call to adventure, he leaves his home, and then, you know, faces obstacles, meets an old man with soup, you know, or whatever, and then uh, uh, comes back, overcomes, sacrifices something, and then returns home having changed. And that's supposed to be, um, you know, the hero's journey. So it's like, the opposite. Carl, Carl Jung, in the very beginning, when he was studying and analyzing these things, was realizing and reflecting upon the fact that he himself did not have a myth. He himself was not on a hero's journey, though we might, in retrospect, look and say, ah, but you were. You were on a hero's journey of creating this Jungian uh, philosophy, right? But, um, you know, you can cram everything into the story circle, you can cram everything into the tree of life if you want to. But what's my point? My point is I always felt allergic to that. Um, that basically it's a bastard that what you watch on television between the commercials is a bastardization of union philosophy. And what you see in the commercials is a bastardization of Freudian philosophy. And maybe that's not the right word, bastardization. It just sounds like a good, a good word to use. But what I mean is a perversion, in my opinion. A, uh, you know, taking something that is gold and useful and then turning it into putty, turning it into crap, turning it into... You know, I mean, there's some good shows. I enjoy a good story circle myself, I admit. But... Um, you know, what's it for other than keeping people glued to screens? I've always felt allergic to it and in my own, uh, let's say, you know, creations, my own, my own movie making, my own short films, I've entirely rejected the, uh, the idea of, uh, of adhering to any kind of hero's journey structure, which of course is one of the many things that, uh, makes it not very popular. Same with my books, uh, my, my books and my short stories. People, people who, are, who are used to reading normal books uh, will read my short stories and be like, this isn't a short story, it's not a story. Yeah, it's not a story as defined by Robert McKee as like the, the dogmatization of, uh, of, of Jung's observations about the hero's journey. That's correct. And by the way, you're an idiot, sorry. I don't mean to offend any idiots out there. Um, I don't mean I don't mean any any offense toward actual idiots by by using that word as an insult for the people that I'm referring to. No, 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 no. Um, but there was one exception. I think Thomas and the Wolf. Actually, I did intentionally uh, make it a bit of a hero's journey. <clears throat> a bit, a bit. It's very short. I, I recommend it, of course. Um, Thomas and the Wolf is very personal to me. But anyway. Um, yeah, those, those were just my immediate reflections upon what we just read, and I'll make this a little bit of a short one, or, no, should I read a little more? Yeah, <clears throat> let's read a little more. My most difficult experiments. In 1912, Jung had some significant dreams that he did not understand. He gave particular importance to two of these which he felt showed the limitations of Freud's concepts, uh, conceptions of dreams. The first, I was in, this is like a quote, I guess, though it's not, st strictly speaking, in quotes. 
I was in a southern town on a rising street with narrow half landings. It was 12 o'clock midday, bright sunshine. An old Austrian customs guard or someone similar passes by me lost in thought. Someone says, that is one who cannot die. He died already 30 to 40 years ago, but he has not yet managed to decompose. I was very surprised. Here a striking figure came, a knight of powerful build, clad in yellowish armor. He looks solid and inscrutable, and nothing impresses him. On his back he carries a red Maltese cross. He has continued to exist from the 12th century, and daily between 12 and 1 o'clock midday he takes the same route. No one marvels at these two apparitions, but I was extremely surprised. I held back my interpretive skills. As regards the old Austrian, Freud occurred to me as regards the night I myself. You, that's the end of the like small print with different margins, which is kind of like, never mind. So we're back to the What's his name? Uh, talking. Jung found the dream oppressing and bewildering, and Freud was unable to interpret it. It's so interesting to imagine, like Jung, like calling up Freud, like, "Hey, what do you think of this?" No, you want to fuck your mother, you know? Okay, thanks, Freud. I'm gonna work on it on my own. Um, the second came a half uh, half a year later. I dreamed then, parentheses, it was shortly after Christmas 1912, end parentheses, that I was sitting with my children in a marvelous and richly furnished tower chamber, an open uh, columned hall. We were sitting at a round table whose top was a marvelous dark green stone. Suddenly, a seagull or dove flew in and landed elatedly on the table. I admonished the children to be quiet so that they would not scare away the beautiful white bird. Suddenly, this little bird turned into a child of eight years, a small blonde girl, and ran around with my children in the marvelous columned, uh, colonnades. Then the child suddenly turned into a gull or dove she said the following to me, quote, only in the first hour of the night can I become human. While the male dove is busy with the 12 dead. End quote. With these words, the bird flew away and I awoke. Cool. In 1925, Jung, rem that's the end of the section. Now we're back to Sonu talking. In 1925, Jung remarked that this dream, quote, was the beginning of a conviction that the unconscious did not consist of inert material only, but that there was something living down there, end quote. He added that he thought of the story of the Tabula Smaragdina, Smaragdina the Twelve Apostles, the signs of the zodiac. Oh, you're talking about the tablet of shoe bread, and so on. Uh, but he 
quote, could make nothing out of the dream except that there was a tremendous animation of the unconscious. I knew no technique of getting at the bottom of this activity. All I could do was just wait, keep on living, and watch the fantasies. Well, end quote. These dreams led him to analyze, did somebody order a pizza? Sorry. These dreams uh, led him to analyze his childhood memories. While he was engaged in this self-analytic activity, he continued to develop his theoretical work. At the Munich Psychoanalytical Congress on September 7th through 8th, 1913, he spoke on psychological types. He argued that there were two basic movements of the libido. Extraversion, in which the subject's interest was oriented toward the outer world, and introversion, in which the subject's interest was directed toward himself. Following from this, he posited two types of people, characterized by a predominance of one of these tendencies. The psychologies of Freud and Alfred Adler were examples of the fact that psychologists often took what was true of their type as generally valid. Hence, what was required was a psychology that did justice to both of these types, okay? The following month, on a train journey to Schaffhausen, passing by the Rhine Falls and close to where he spent his early years, Jung experienced a waking vision of Europe being devastated by a catastrophic, catastrophic flood, which was repeated two weeks later on the same journey. As he later recounted in Liber Novus, now we're back to Jung talking, right? I saw a terrible flood that covered all the northern and low-lying lands between the North Sea and the Alps. It reached from England up to Russia and from the coast of the North Sea right up to the Alps. I saw yellow waves, swimming rubble, and the deaths of countless thousands. Okay, now we're back to Sonu. After the second occasion, he heard an inner voice say, quote, look at it. It is completely real, and it will come to pass. You cannot doubt this. End quote. Well, if he was a different sort of person, he would have like become one of those apocalypse nuts, right? Started a new cult. In 1925, he described the event as follows. I was traveling by train and I had a book in my hand that I was reading. I began to fantasize and before I knew it, I was in the town to which I was going. This was the fantasy. I was looking down on the map of Europe in relief I saw all the northern part and England sinking down so that the sea came in upon it. It came up to Switzerland, and then I saw <clears throat> that the mountains grew higher and higher to protect Switzerland. I realized that a frightful catastrophe was in progress. Towns and people were destroyed, and the wrecks and the dead bodies were tossing about on the water. Then the sea turned to blood. At first, I was only looking on dispassionately, and then the sense of catastrophe gripped me with tremendous power. OK, 
Okay, that's the end of the Yun part. Back to Sonu. Commenting on this, he remarked, I could be taken as Switzerland fenced in by mountains, right? And the uh, submergence of the world could be the debris of my former relationships, end quote. This led him to the following diagnosis, diagnosis of his condition. <clears throat> uh, quote, I thought to myself, uh, by the way, I just read, thought dia means total, complete, and gnosis, of course, G-N-O-S-I-S, mm? total knowledge, total gnosis, diagnosis. Mm. Mm. Anyway, um, I had the feeling that I was an overpowered, compensated psychosis. Uh, and from this feeling, I was not released till August 1st, 1914, end quote. After this experience, Jung feared that he would go mad. He recalled that he first thought that the images of the vision indicated a revolution, but as he could not imagine this, he concluded that he was, quote, threatened by a psychosis. End quote. I'll go ahead and end there. We're in the middle of this section, and we'll, uh, we'll finish the section next time. So, there it is. That's one. Food for thought, right? Hope everyone's doing well. And uh, from, my, from my bookshelf to yours, I wish you a heartfelt...